Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Grow Your Know podcast. Today, we'll be talking with our special guest, Doris de Guzman, Senior Consultant at Techman Orbit Chem in New York City, on the topic of green chemistry and renewable raw materials. Our focus will be on exploring both the existing and emerging products in these spaces and their potential for the coatings market. Let's get started. Okay. Well, here today with Doris de Guzman, who's a senior consultant at Techno Orbicam in New York City, among a lot of other activities that you're in uh, with respect to the Green Chemicals blog. And so, uh, delighted to have this opportunity to finally meet you and and begin a conversation here on understanding this whole arena of green initiatives and hopefully uh, some tips for their sustainable adoption by the coatings and plastics industry. Uh, the easy first start question, Doris, is, is really one thrown back to you. How do you see this whole space of green chemistry and uh, renewable materials uh, you know, as someone who reports on it, how how has it emerged? Where is it? Uh, where is it headed? What are some of your just sort of your general impressions as someone who's carving out a, a an existence on this topic? Well, the thing is that um, you know what you call green, or you know, using it, there's a lot of definition in green. Um, you know, each one has their own definition. For me, basically, is that, um, you know, I focus on um, more on renewable um, materials and feedstock and chemicals. So when I say renewable, um, it doesn't use, um, you know, fossil uh, fuel, it doesn't use crude oil, doesn't use uh, coal or natural gas. So that's what I kind of term as renewable. So it could use plant-based, you know, feedstock. It could use waste-based uh, feedstock. Um, or it could even use, you know, some of those um, greenhouse gas emissions, which is becoming actually popular um, these days. These days, as a feedstock, and so um, you know, the plant-based chemicals have been here for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> sure. uh, they've been they have been used even before petrochemicals have been born. But um, when we call, you know, green chemistry these days, um, it's also um, how you process, um, how you process the, uh, the chemical, the technologies are, you know, are, are getting out now. Um, it's more prevalent these days, especially when you consider how volatile, you know, fossil uh, fuel and, you know, crude feedstocks are. Um, and so these are alternatives that, you know, can come handy, um, you know, when these type of, of fossil fuel or, or, or natural gas um, are, 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 are very much impacting, um, you know, our way of life. So it's a good alternative, but it has to be sustainable. It has to be, you know, um, uh, non-toxic. It has to be something that, you know, um, also economical. So there's a lot of definitions when you, you know, when you, when you say about green chemistry or sustainability. Well, that was a great introduction. And, and, uh, one of the things I want to uh, touch with you on is is really um, end user acceptance of these materials. Okay, it's one thing to say, yeah, I'd, I'd love to purchase bio based from whatever re resource it is, but but you know, uh, how are producers of these these materials, you know, 
improving end user acceptance or driving end user acceptance. It's one thing to say I'm green and I bought a bio-based material. It's another thing to make sure that you're customer. In our industry, very customer driven. You know, that coating has to stick. It has to, you know, protect. It has to beautify. So what's, what's going on in the renewables resource to, to match up, if you will, with the uh, performance of uh, more reliable supplies of chemistry that, that have been utilized for many years? So it is interesting, actually, that, you know, the end user market seems to be the one driving the demand mm-hmm. um, these days for, you know, what you call um, sustainable uh, feedstock. Um, there are a lot of collaborations going on um, that end consumers are participating in. They're more interested, um, you know, in their supply chain. Now they are participating in the R&D. They are participating in how their feedstock is sourcing. And they are participating, tracking, you know, how their feedstocks are being sourced sustainably. And so it's all the way to the, you know, uh, feedstock. Um, even all the way to say, you know, if you're using plant-based, uh, how they are being grown. Um, and so that's why I think life cycle analysis, these tool is becoming uh, more important for end consumers because they want to track what's going on, um, you know, uh, with their feedstock and how, you know, um, how they are, are being supplied to them. And of course, the end consumer also have to do their own part and how, you know, their materials are, are, are going to be disposed or going to be used, you know, in their end of life um, cycle. And so, yes, the end consumers are actually very active. Um, they are demanding more, um, you know, within their supply chain. And you see a lot more of that, especially for those brand companies, you know. I mean, they have their brands. They have to be conscious about, you know, their brands. And so they want something um, attach their brands that are, you know, more sustainable that, you know, consumers like us uh, would want to know. And so um, that is what's going on, um, you know, when it comes to even technology developments. Uh, they are participating in these technology developments. They are investing uh, in these companies. So on the second part is that, um, so how is these bio-based chemicals or even renewable-based chemicals are performing? Um it has been a long road, you know, for some of these um, chemicals. Some of them are pretty easy. You can do a drop-in type of chemical. And then there are some uh, novel molecules that it takes quite some time to develop. It takes quite some time to formulate. It takes quite some time to have them registered um, to make sure that, you know, the, the, uh, the sustainability aspect, the toxicity aspect of these chemicals are good. Um, and then um, you have to do uh, life cycle analysis of these new novel molecules. So it takes quite some time, um, you know, for them to be out uh, in commercial production. And so there are, you know, a lot of bumps down the road when it comes to, you know, accepting novel uh, molecules. Um, and so these uh, type of, you know, materials, um, you know, some of them are doing pretty well now, maybe after like, you know, 10, 15 years <laughs> now that they are in the market and being tested. So they're doing okay. Some of them are still pretty new. I mean, it will definitely take, uh, you know, some time and they need investments. And so that's, you know, that's kind of like how it is nowadays with, with this type of renewable chemicals and materials. Okay, excellent answer. I, you know, we, I'm uh, the coatings industry, just to give you a little uh, 
data point here to consider. You know, when you start to utilize a new formulation or new materials in your stuff and you sell it to an end user that's sensitive to the carbon footprint in the LCA, you still have to warranty that product to them. Mm -hmm. And generally, the buck stops with you, the coatings manufacturer, for perhaps the first five years. So there's a five-year window here, and I, I heard you say a couple of great buzzwords. Collaboration is going on right now because uh, these new these bio-based materials or renewable re material providers do want to keep track of how their how their stuff is working, so, you know, as it penetrates the marketplace. So all good news. Drop-in is. I think I would almost suggest that's a rare thing in the coatings industry, unless it's the exact molecule that comes right. out of a bioresource. But, but um, you know, more more R and D is certainly collaborative in this in this space. That's for sure. I want to talk a little bit more about the the end user acceptance. Sometimes, you know, uh, end users have expressed a true interest in a renewable product. My experience looking at the literature, and I'm a little old on the literature, but the forest products industry, and you've worked with them uh, in the past or reported on them, uh, you know, had various uh, certification programs for wood products that, that they promoted the fact that they were doing things properly, harvesting properly uh, and, you know, replanting and that sort of thing. And that allowed people to feel good about their purchases, if you will, and in some cases even pay a price premium mm -hmm. for those. Do you see that as a as something that will happen in a lot of other renewable spaces that that, you know, the demand is so high that the price points might uh, it might support a price premium to cover this uh, integration period? Yeah, certainly. Um... The certification industry is actually doing really, really well. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, uh, for example, palm oil is being sourced um, in Indonesia and Malaysia in particular because these are, you know, the biggest producers. Uh, they have to be sustainably, um, you know, produced. Um, you know, there's no deforestation attached, um, you know, to these type of uh, palm oil production. And this is especially true in Europe. They're very strict about it. Um, and so, you know, certifying um, the sourcing of their palm oil feedstock um, is, is, is getting bigger and bigger for, you know, for a lot of these um, companies. In the petrochemical industry, there is now what you call um, mass balance approach. And so uh, for those who are not, you know, uh, familiar with this type of mass balance approach, um, what some of the petrochemical companies are doing is that they're using, you know, um, biomass uh, feedstock, let's say um, naphtha, that are produced with uh, biomass content, or like you know, waste cooking oil, or you know, vegetable oils or animal fats. Um, so they can produce bio naphtha through um, uh, several uh, type of, of processing. One is you know, production of renewable diesel and a co-products bio naphtha. And so this type of bio naphtha, um, you know, they are actually using it in some of the petrochemical crackers to produce olefins and aromatics, uh, you know, ethylene, polyethylene, uh, benzene-toluene, um, silene. Um, but they have to certify from that point where, you know, um, they are using that biomass uh, feedstock all the way to the end products. Um, so there is a certification involved that, you know, just need to verify that, yes, we are using, you know, some of these biomass-based feedstock. So this is actually getting bigger. 
uh, in the petrochemical industry, especially for those petrochemical refineries that are using this type of approach. Um, so yes, um, sourcing of feedstock, um, you know, is becoming um, uh, really interesting when it comes to certification, especially when you're using food-based uh, feedstock. Um, sourcing of waste-based feedstock, um, you know, certification for that. Um, not as much because the technology for using waste-based feedstock is still not, you know, large enough, um, you know, for, uh, you know, companies to be concerned about. And, you know, using waste-based is actually really good brownie points <laughs> if you're going to do that, especially for brand companies. Um, but yeah, uh, when it comes to food-based feedstock, um, there's probably going to be a lot more of those certifications going forward. Um, you know, especially um, when you're concerning about deforestation, when you're concerning about illegal logging, uh, you know, those type of things that um, try to you know, destroy um, the environment. Do you have any examples of um, from from your experience that you reported on about first movers, you know, people that said, you know what, I'm going to do this. And they've had great success in integrating a material and, and uh, uh, surprising the market with it. Um, that's probably a tough question. You have a lot of them that you reported on, you know, news items, but yeah. anything that come to mind that are first mover experiences? Um, yeah, there's definitely a lot of them. Um, one um, that comes to mind on top of my head because they just filed their IPO um, okay. recently. Uh, it's a company called Lanzatech. And so um, Lanzatex technology is based on gas fermentation of greenhouse gases, you know, uh, CO2, CO, uh, maybe even methane. Um, and so um, their technology is actually um, developed, I think, um, um, hopefully I'm not mistaken, uh, in collaboration with some of the programs under the Department of Energy. Um, and so, you know, uh, in one of those um, grant programs, and then you collaborated, you know, with some of the researchers uh, in the uh, uh, government agencies. Um, and so it is interesting because they are already um, producing commercial, uh, you know, uh, products, um, even before, you know, they have their IPO, because, you know, some of these uh, companies, the startup companies, uh, they typically, you know, go public. To get money and then you know go into commercial production uh, with the help of that you know funding, uh, but with Lanzatech um, they already uh, have a joint venture um, in China, and so uh, they have a joint venture uh, with a steel uh, making uh, company, and so they're using uh, you know the, the greenhouse uh, gases from that steel production uh, you know carbon dioxide, uh, carbon monoxide, um, so they captured those gases. And then they converted using the gas fermentation process uh, to produce right now ethanol. And so that ethanol actually, you know, they can use it as a fuel, of course. And then that's, uh, you know, if you dehydrated, um, you can produce ethylene out of it. And ethylene is a major building block for a lot of people. you go. Yeah, you can make lots. Right. Of right. And so Lanzatech already has collaborations in the end uh, consumer markets. Um, Lululemon is one. Um, Koti, which is a fragrance producer, you know, you can use ethanol from them. Um, you have um, Unilever, you know, you can use ethanol and some of their surfactants. Um, and so they have those uh, brand companies that they're already collaborating with that they can use, uh, you know, that um, ethylene or ethanol uh, feedstock. 
So that's one, you know, um, a really a good example of how this technology is being developed, how it's being commercialized, and now how it's, uh, you know, are being used uh, by end consumers. So th they have found a way to tap into that added value that moving into this space is. I mean, put aside the, they have to be price competitive, if you will, or not outrageous compared to alternatives, but but they've tapped into that value space where integrating a renewable uh, takes, your, takes your branded product up a notch or two in, in the yeah. marketplace. Yeah, I mean, think about the carbon reduction that you're doing, you know, capturing those gases, the greenhouse gases. So, um, you know, that that makes a lot of value to these well, end companies. I, I'm intrigued because that's a wow factor that it's happening now, that there's an IPO getting ready to go and that it's mm -hmm. uh, it's always been uh, wishful thinking for those of us that worked in the environmental arena. If we could just find somebody that wanted this CO2 and other other greenhouse mm -hmm. gas emissions and could make something out of it, well, uh, we'll be better off as a society. Um, a big focus on the R&D is the use of, you know, waste-based feedstock. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if you don't have to, you know, um, use any of the carbon that's, you know, um, underneath, <laughs> you know, you don't have to put out a lot more carbon out into the atmosphere. That would be great. You can recycle those carbons. Um, and so we can actually use any feedstock. Let's just say, you know, the food that, um, you know, that um, that you eat and uneaten food, um, you can actually recycle those food. Um, and there are, you know, technologies that can use, you know, uh, waste food um, and produce organic chemicals. Um, there are several, uh, you know, companies out there that are doing it now. Um, you know, they can produce certain types of organic chemicals, um, even, you know, diacids from out of those food waste. Um, you know, and it could be very interesting for, you know, more of the specialty chemical companies that, you know, use this type of a more complicated um, uh, chemicals. Um, and so, you know, that's one uh, factor that you can look into. I mean, the fragrance industries have actually been very active right now in, um, you know, sourcing these type or partnering with this type of new technology that use renewable um, feedstock or waste-based feedstock because their ingredients are very expensive. Yeah. Um, and so if they can get alternatives where, you know, you don't have to have a difficulty in sourcing, um, you know, their feedstock. So there are, you know, small startup companies out there that are looking into providing that type of solution using waste-based uh, materials to produce, you know, these type of, you know, organic acids or, you know, diacids. Um, so, yeah, um, that type of R&D is becoming uh, bigger and bigger, but you cannot really see the volume that's going on because, you know, the volume is not as important as, you know, how, you know, you can uh, produce. And um, using waste-based materials, I think, is the way to go. Uh, for a lot of these um, R&D development, you know, developments uh, in the space. The Grow Your Know podcast is brought to you by Azelis. If you like this episode and are interested in learning more, check out their website at azelis.com or azeliscanada.com. Follow along the Azelis LinkedIn for further updates. Until next time, this is Steve signing off.